Queensland police say that the officers ambushed at a secluded property west of Brisbane on Monday walked into a sophisticated trap designed to kill and maim. As we know, three officers died in the attack, gunned down, execution style, whilst making a routine welfare check. A third person, local man Alan Dare, was also murdered. What's less clear are the mindsets and motivations of the trio who laid this trap, brothers Nathaniel and Gareth Train and his wife Stacey. They're being described as loners, with reports that Gareth was part of an online conspiracy community, posting of his distrust of police and claiming that the Port Arthur massacre had been a false flag operation designed to disarm Australians. Well, across the world, a growing number of people are being captured by similar anti-establishment sentiment, fuelled by the COVID-19 pandemic, the rise of right-wing populist leaders and conspiracy theory movements such as QAnon. Last week, Germany was rocked by the arrests of 25 people for their alleged involvement in a plot to overthrow their country's government and restore the German Empire founded in 1871. Professor Cass Müller is an expert on political political extremism and populism in the United States and Germany. I spoke to him earlier. Thank you for having me. I want to start by asking you generally about this group in Germany. They'd previously been thought of as ragtag and harmless gadflies, but at what point did they become a serious threat? Well, it is more a subculture than really a group. So the Reichsbürger are kind of the German equivalent of sovereign citizens, as in a very loosely organised group that for some reason doesn't accept federal authority. And within the US, this subculture has been very violent. In Germany, it has been linked to a few violent acts, but it hasn't really organized that much. And in that sense, this was quite remarkable. So did the news of this plot come as a great surprise to yourself and people like yourself who are really tapped into this sentiment and what's going on? No, not really, because there has been a, a strong radicalization over the last years, and particularly uh, since the pandemic, the Reichsbürger have been uh, becoming bigger. The, the whole subculture has become more violent, and we know that there has been plots like these. We also know that generally the state is reasonably on top of it. So then... What are the ideologies that these groups are tapping into? How central is the ideology of, say, the great replacement theory to the far-right groups springing up in Europe and indeed across the world? Well, the great replacement theory has been pretty much dominant within particularly the European far-right, I would say, for three, four decades now. And it comes in a little bit different forms, but this idea that a conglomerate of kind of evil forces led by mostly the left and more recently with people like George Soros are trying to replace the original population of Europe through immigration and thereby to try and extend their dominance um, over the population, which no longer takes it. Right, That we can trace back to the 1980s, 1990s. But now it has become kind of a, a more global idea and 9-11 has given it a kind of a, an Islamophobic element to it. Mm. You mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic just before, Cass. I mean, how did that help provide this fertile ground for far-right conspiracy theories? Um, according to scholars, it led to radicalization because quite a lot of people 
will only really get into contact with people with other ideas through work, um, through forced contact in a sense. But now a lot of people stayed at home and worked from home. Mm. And as a consequence, were only in their own bubbles. Uh, and that radicalized. It also made people more lonely. It made people more anxious. And uh, it, it gave rise to this kind of anti-government sentiments that are very central to the U.S. far right, but haven't been so central to the European far right. Mm. If we move away from uh, the fringe extremist violent movements and look at political successes of more mainstream right-wing populists, I mean, we've seen quite uh, populist anti-migrant governments take hold in Hungary and Italy, for example. Yes, the 2022 was another good year for the far right, although in terms of percentages, they didn't necessarily go up that much. But in Hungary, they were re-elected once again, although the elections were were free but unfair. Big shifts were particularly in Sweden, where uh, the Sweden Democrats, the the local radical right party, became the largest right-wing party. And after decades of being kind of ostracized, they're now an official support party of the right-wing government. Whereas in Italy, for the first time in a a post-war West European uh, country, the far right dominates Mm. uh, the national government. Professor Cass Mude is here talking about global political extremism on RN Drive. You're with Catherine Robinson. Cass, looking at the US now, how has right-wing populism changed there since the presidency of Donald Trump and, of course, the January 6 US Capitol insurrection? Yeah, I think particularly the insurrection is really important. Um, what, what has changed, of course, is they're no longer in power uh, at the federal level, which is pretty important because to a large extent, January 6th was only possible because of collaboration from the White House. Now, the most remarkable thing of January 6th was that after a very short break in which most of the Republican leadership was so shocked um, that they denounced uh, the attack, um, they have pretty much embraced it. And so in the midterm elections in November, was actually a majority of the Republicans who ran did not accept the validity, the legitimacy of the 2020 elections. And that is very fundamental. If one of the two main parties in a country does not, by and large, accept the electoral process, you have a major problem. How central was the notion of wokeism in those US midterms? Uh, Wokeism is the newest iteration of a very long kind of anti-left ideology, which brings everything together. I mean, what what is woke now used to be politically correct and used to be cultural Marxist. Um, It is important, but at the same time, the bread and butter is much more opposition to immigration, opposition to a big state. They also try to play inflation and those kind of things. And there were a few candidates that really went full on the woke agenda and some were successful, like Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, Mm. and some were not. So then do you think the 2024 presidential campaign of Donald Trump revitalises this global populist right-wing movement? No, I think in general that the far right, like all politics, is national first and, and global second and a, and a very distant second. Donald Trump has lost a lot of his his um, charisma, in a sense, his attraction since losing power. 
And I don't think that much of the far right looks at him. What they rather look at is the broader far right direction of the Republican Party. And while some find inspiration in Donald Trump, others will find inspiration in Josh Hawley or in DeSantis. Mm. Um, rather, what they what most far right look for in the U.S. is an ally or at the very least uh, someone who is not woke or part of what they think is the global order, the liberal global order. So just finally, Cass, how do you prevent people, and I guess particularly young men, for example, from adopting violent political ideologies? Well, first of all, I mean, that is it's a very difficult question. And there are a lot of people who support these ideologies who will never engage in violence. Overall, what a lot of, of studies show of particularly younger men who become violent is that they have generally more broader health issues, loneliness, other types of things. And so you can like try to reintegrate and try to help them at that. But I think what is also important is that we have seen more recently, and Germany is a good example, that a lot of this violence actually comes from older men. Mm -hmm. um, this was the case in Dover with the attack on, on an asylum center as well. And that is something that we should also focus on. There is a radicalization of older white men, which seems to go particularly through Facebook, um, which is a very different dynamic than what we often think about these young, lower educated men who are not integrated into society. And so what is appealing to those older men to join these groups later in life? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that many of them are retired, are very much online are less integrated socially um, and have a lot of gripes. Older white men have become marginalized compared to their position before. They still hold a privileged position, but it's nothing like they had before. And for these men, it's much harder to come to terms with having to behave differently um, than you have done your whole life and, and getting pushback on being called racist or sexist or homophobic. Like then, then someone who's 20 or 30 who at least understand where it's coming from. Mm. Professor Cass Mude, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Cass Mude is the Stanley Wade Shelton UGAF professor at the University of Georgia and adjunct professor at the University of Oslo. On RN Drive, you're with Catherine Robinson. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.